Appalachia. Appalachia is a very distinct word, and everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Moreover, though, whether it's right or wrong, it stirs up images of everything from indescribable mountaintop beauty, deep forest, and cabins in the wood to trailer parks, meth heads, extreme prejudice, and xenophobia. The fact that one word can bring up such a huge response is an owed to its far-reaching influence in society. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet into the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed what can only be described as horrendous, demeaning, and even downright unbelievable history as we are now learning every day is not exactly what we've been told and what was once thought to be nothing more than fairy tale is now coming to light as truth. I often hear references to the movie Deliverance or people making funny banjo sounds when describing the Appalachians. I, being born and raised in these mountains, know that nothing in fact could be more wrong or, in some cases, more right. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has been around longer than any place in the United States. In fact, far longer than the United States itself. We'll look into these mountains and learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly history that lies within them to this very day. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Welcome back again, my good friends. Come on in, take your shoes off, and set a spell. Thank you for your time today, and please listen as I tell a forgotten tale of outright murder, robbery, and old-fashioned mountain karma that happened all in a small community in the Appalachian Mountains. We go today to a small town deep in the Appalachian Mountains of West Virginia called Glen Allum. It was named after the Glen Allum Coal Company, which was the local employer of the community. Yes, it was yet another company town which were prominent in the Mid-South Appalachians cold country. In August of 1914, the Glen Allen payroll from a Lynchburg, Virginia bank arrived as usual on train number 15 at Glen Allen Station on the main line. There, it was taken into custody by Dr. W.D. Amick, who was the company physician, F.D. Johnson, the bookkeeper, and Joseph Sheeler, company electrician. They were to serve as guards on the trip by gasoline-powered speeder over the spur of the track from Glen Allum Depot to the coal company offices several miles up Glen Allum Creek. Those who may wonder what a speeder is, well, it's one of those pump-driven railroad carts that you see on the old westerns. By this time, they were of course, being powered by gasoline engines, but still looked very much like they did back when they had the hand pumps on them, with the exception of having seats on them now. I guess they probably kind of looked like a Model T Ford with handlebars and a train wheels on them. The three men loaded up the payroll, which totaled about $7,000, and headed out to the company offices. 
that would be about $182,000 today. They never reached their destination. After first having a brief thought that maybe they decided to split the money up and run for it, the company came to its senses and went out looking for the men by following the railroad tracks back toward the depot. That's where they found a scene of pure horror. At some point in the, between the depot and the coal company offices, Dr. Amick and his companions encountered a barricade of logs or railroad ties that were stacked up on the track. When they stopped the speeder to clear the track, their bodies were immediately riddled with so many bullets that there was no way anybody could have possibly even thought about surviving it. They were killed instantly. The bandits, whoever they were, just plain killed them all first and then grabbed the payroll and ran for it. By mid-afternoon, news of the horrible crime had reached Greenway Hatfield, the Mingo County Sheriff, and yes, ne nephew of the famous old mountaineer, Devil Lance Hatfield of the Hatfield-McCoy feud. Sheriff Hatfield had received the news over the NNW's telegraph wire. Sheriff Hatfield quickly assembled his deputies and also called on private citizens to form a great posse. They left for the scene on a special train provided by the NNW Railway, 45 minutes after word of the crime had reached the sheriff. The biggest manhunt in local history then ensued. After all, anybody that could do what these robbers did would likely do it again unless they were stopped and stopped now. Law officers of all kinds, Baldwin Feltz detectives, NW special agents, town police, and constables from Williamson to Bluefield joined in what was to become a great manhunt. The search for the scoundrels, which started that day in the second week of August, was to come to a dramatic end on Sunday morning. Naturally, the first conclusion was that the crime had been perpetrated by local men. On dawn of the second day of the search revealed to Sheriff Hatfield and his men that the robbers had crossed the mountains to Bend Creek. Sheriff Hatfield, being a son of the Appalachian Mountains, knew this from being a well-versed tracker. There was plenty of sign near the home of Jim Redbush Hatfield where there were numerous footprints showing where the bandits descended a steep slope to land on the soft bank of a Bend Creek. From that point, the murderers made their way to the Cold Spring Fork of Bend Creek, which had been witnessed by numerous mountain folk in the area. There were many wild rumors that couldn't be verified pertaining to the robbery and the assailants. The morning had dawned as usual for Sanford Hatfield, a well-known resident of the section. He and a few of his good friends were walking a path that followed along the Cold Spring Forks when somebody suddenly opened fire on them. Mr. Hatfield was, as one would expect from a gunshot wound, quite painfully wounded, but was able to recover from it. Other folks with him were Ed Mounts, who was dropped with a bullet through his leg, and Mitch Patrick, Alex Patrick, and George May. An erroneous report said that both Mr. Hatfield and Mr. Mounts were killed, but later that was proved that they were only wounded. With that incident, the posse, now numbering 50 or more, closed in and the bandits holed up, discontinuing further flight because they were hopelessly lost in the Appalachian Mountains. This stalemate waxed on until the morning of Sunday. 
covering the story from Williamson proved impossible because of the lack of contact with the posse and the many wild rumors that couldn't be verified. So on Sunday morning, O.H. Booten, Daily News staff writer, boarded old number four, the eastbound train, and took with him a Western Union telegraph operator attached to the Williamson office. They got off at War Eagle where Joey Sippel, armed with a Winchester, guided them by shortcut to the Cold Spring Fork, right into the middle of the, where the action was going on. He bore witness to what happened next. The gun battle maintained throughout Saturday night and was in progress when he arrived. The weapon of one of the murderers, he would say later, made a peculiar zing when it was fired that even a novice could distinguish. About mid-morning, it appeared that both the murderers and the posse had gotten their fill of the whole thing because that's when some action finally happened as the men from both sides sat in cover with their fingers itching on the trigger. Stick around, you want to hear the end of this one. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend with Larry Bentley. Now the place in the mountains where stood hardwood trees was full of the posse and news when a news reporter and when came a shouted order given by Sheriff Hatfield, which was misunderstood because the sound couldn't travel well in that area. Yeah, that's going to end well, isn't it? The order was to charge the bandits' stronghold, but those in that crowded place thought it was a warning that the robbers were coming out shooting, and instantly there was a big panic and a wild stampede. Some 20 to 30 men, ordinarily courageous in themselves, dashed for the only escape route which was a pig path along the creek bank, and they didn't stop until they reached our schoolhouse several miles away. I don't know how it happened, but it didn't seem to be a matter of courage. Still not all the men ran. The young telegraph operator stayed because his reporter friend stayed. They were the sole occupants of a little spot with a member of the posse that led them over there named Joey Sipple. Young mountaineer Joey Sipple remained at his post. His eyes were darting back and forth when his rifle was, rifle was at the ready, and I'm not sure he could have beaten Lucas McCain, the rifleman, to draw that day, probably. The trees were big enough to hide behind, so it was comforting to the young reporter and his telegraph operator as Joey, well as Joey Sipple himself. The order to charge the robbers was finally obeyed by those who remained, and the advancing lawmen discovered that the stronghold of the murderers was nothing but a rotten old fallen tree. They also discovered that the scoundrels weren't natives to the Appalachia, as had been suspected, but swarthy, undersized men of Italian descent. When the lawmen reached the lair of the bandits, they found that only one of the five had been alive through the night. Even though riddled with bullets himself, he was still determined to fight. One shot dispatched him into the hereafter. The bodies of all the murderers were riddled with bullets from the two-day shooting spree back and forth between the killers and the lawmen. The lawmen's bullets had pretty much went through the rotten tree and hit their targets, shooting the robbers to pieces. Who killed a defiant living bandit was never definitely established, nor were other facts about the brutal crime. 
The bodies of the murderers were brought by train to Williamson, where they were laid out in pine coffins in the morgue of M.T. Ball, who was a pioneer mortician. The whole town and surrounding communities strode by to view their bodies, which is to the tune of about a thousand people, which is saying something for that area in that day. The final death toll of the whole incident stood at 11. Dr. Amick, Mr. Johnson, Mr. Sheeler, who were ambushed as they took the payroll to the mine, the five bandits, and William Burrell, Squire, Squire Belcher, and Landon Teller, members of the posse, who were shot. Burwell and Belcher had been killed almost directly down the mountainside from the robber's ambush. Tiller was shot through the neck as he sat in the ground with his back against a tree, resting while working his way around to a point where he could be above the killer. Tiller wasn't killed outright and could have survived in today's world, but he later contracted fatal pneumonia from his wound, which was a common thing to happen back before there was any kind of antibiotics available. The payroll was recovered and counted. It was all there except one $20 bill, presumably lost because the robbers hadn't went anywhere but straight to the mountains. The loot had been divided by the bandits. Sheriff Hatfield's posse can be described as a band of men, very good men, that were very good at what they did. Some left Williamson with, with him and remained to the end. Two of these originals were Colonel A.A. A. Tony Gojot and William Red Bill Dorman. Others were Wallace Chafin, Chief Deputy Under Sheriff Hatfield, John V. Maynard, then a Mate Juan resident and a constable, Rush Slater, Sheriff Hatfield's Chief Field Deputy, who was in charge of the posse that finally hemmed the robbers in, and others. Colonel Gojot had actually thrown a charge of dynamite into the robber's perch in an effort to dislodge them. The four undersized Italian bandits couldn't have been away from their native country for long as they were still wearing the suits that appeared to be Italian-made. It is doubtful if any of them could even speak English. Behind the robbery must have been a mastermind, somebody who knew that the payroll would arrive on that very day and and then that very train. In criminal jargon of the day, the job must have been cased or planned, in other words. Either overlooked by the mastermind or disobedience of the orders or maybe confusion by the four killers was the getaway plan. If there was a plan, it went two ways, down the drain and fast. The robbers chose the route that offered them pretty much no chance of getting away remaining in the mountains and crossing each ridge creek to creek was time-consuming, slow, and completely exhausting. They got lost in the mountains and were forced to take a stand or give up and die on the gallows. Not much of a choice there, huh? There may have been time before the discovery of the crime for them to have reached Glen Allum Station and the main line of the N&W, thus resulting in a clean getaway. Had they done that, some local may have been sus- suspected of pulling it off, and they wouldn't have—they would have gotten away with it. But holding up behind a old rotten fallen tree was the only choice left them after the mountains got done with them. Had they kept on and crossed the mountains, they would have been on Gilbert Creek with easy access to the Guyan River in the 
months that followed, efforts were made to identify the men. Coal company officials didn't want other incidents of this kind to happen in the future, so they went all out to try to trace the men back to the mastermind. An investigation conducted by the Baldwin Feltz Detective Agency was completely fruitless. The identity of the Glen Allen robbers who faced the karma of the Appalachian Mountains was never learned. And we who live in these mountains know that karma all too well, don't we? I hope you've enjoyed our story today. If you have, please rate and review the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, please. Go over to our Patreon page at patreon.com and search Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Give it a look. If you'd like to join, there's several levels to join at, and then starting at Mountain Boomer all the way up to Appalachian Hillbilly. I've just uploaded a new Patreon exclusive called The Ghosts of Bent Mountain, which is available along with early commercial-free episodes for Patreon subscribers. You can also support the podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Or you can go to Facebook group, Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend Podcast, where we can discuss anything Appalachian or whatever else you'd like to talk about. And I'll be back soon with another Appalachian Murder, Mystery, or Legend. I'll see you then.